I often talk with folks about journaling. People are fascinated by the fact that I have journaled so religiously since I was a child. People will say, well, what's the point? And for me, the point is oftentimes processing what had happened. And I think that that's part of that journaling experience. By noting what makes us sad or what makes us happy, what makes us feel fulfilled or what depletes us, we, in effect, end up assembling perhaps even instructions for how to be ourselves. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I wrote my first journal entry in June of 1997, shortly after my 16th birthday. I was on a mission trip from my high school living in a church basement in the hills of Eastern Kentucky. We were all given journals and encouraged to really take time each day to just reflect on the experience, what it felt like to be of service, and what we were learning during our time in the community. The practice of reflecting that started that summer really stuck. And here I sit 25 plus years later with a bookshelf full of journals. I've journaled nearly every day since that summer with only a few exceptions. The journals capture the journey of my life, from the illness and death of my mother, to first meeting my wife, to becoming a dad, or even just navigating the early days of Reboot. The journals started then and continue up to this very morning. They offer a direct view of how I was thinking and feeling most days of my life. And yet, what was written in those pages weren't really meant to be read. I haven't read them. Those journals were not about capturing the ins and outs of the days or cataloging what was happening in my life at any given moment. They were my companion, my listening partner, my guide over the peaks and valleys of life. They not only were there to listen to whatever I was feeling or navigating at any given point, they were there to help me process, make sense of, grow from the experience of the day-to-day. They were a mirror to my feelings, my dreams, my heartbreak, a mirror to my heart and soul. I have no doubt those journals, despite rarely being read, have been crucial and critical to my own growth. Simply put, the practice that started in that church basement in June of 1997 and that continues to today, the practice of journaling, makes me a better man. Ian Sanders, an author, trainer, and coach, has had his own journaling journey that has led him to surprising places. In this podcast conversation with Jerry, he talks with Ian, the author of 365 Ways to Have a Good Day, who found himself at the edge of rediscovery at the beginning of COVID. Fumbling and longing for ground, he dove into his past by paging through his old journals. He unearthed the stories of his life at that moment and it reminded him of who he was, what made him tick, and inspired him to write the book that he wanted and needed, a book that emerged from the wisdom of those journals. Enjoy this conversation with Ian and Jerry. At Reboot, we believe that work doesn't have to destroy us. Work can be the way that we achieve our fullest selves and in doing so become more effective leaders, colleagues, and human beings. If you're looking for support in unlocking the best way for you to lead and build your company, Reboot Coaching may be the right fit for you. Whether you've stepped into a new leadership role, your company is rapidly scaling, you need help managing your board, or are looking for support as you transition into the next stage of your life, 
Reboot Coaching is here to help. We know that holding a leadership seat can be isolating and lonely, but you don't have to go it alone. To learn more about Reboot Coaching, head to reboot.io slash coaching. Hey, and thanks for coming on the show. It's just a delight to open up my screen and see your smiling face. Um, We've gotten to know each other well over the years. Before we dive in, why don't you take a moment and just introduce yourself? Thanks, Jerry. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm a creative consultant, storyteller, author, based uh, just outside of London. I live here by the Thames Estuary, 40 miles to the east of uh, town. And if I sit up on tiptoes i can just see the uh, i can just see the water i love to see the uh, container ships coming up this coming up the coast here and uh, uh, taking the dog for a walk down there um so most of my work uh, as you know is with global organizations and leaders inside global organizations helping people become better storytellers storytelling is a really key cornerstone of my work so just in the last few weeks i've been working with um folks at uh, Ericsson, the global telecommunications company, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, you know, very familiar, familiar sounding names. So storytelling is a big part of my work. The other part of my work is helping people uh, with something quite simple, but also very essential, how to have a better day at work. So that's another part of what I do. I do that one-to-one where I can in London. I do that on a walking, uh, little walk and talk thing I've designed and um, also do that globally. And I guess, uh, I guess my latest book is part of that piece as well, Jerry, as you know, how to have a good day, how to have a more good days at work. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the, the book. Um, I'd like you to tell the story of how we met and then I'll correct you. Um, no, just kidding. Because um, for me, the story begins with a handwritten letter. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell, tell that story. The starting point, the starting point, I think, starts on Instagram in late summer 2019 when I see a number of people in my network talking about this great book they've just read <laughs> with a very familiar cover, which is behind me on the, my favorite bookshelf. Mm. And um, it's Reboot. Mm. I keep seeing it show up. I'm like, why do I keep seeing it show up? And I haven't done anything about it. So I, so I rectify mm. that and I buy the book. And that was October 2019. So obviously it had been out for a while. I read it uh, cover to cover in a couple of sessions and was very touched by it. I read a lot of books. Um, I read a lot of nonfiction. There's something about this, something about your voice that touched me. And touched me enough that I thought rather than doing what I might do, which is reach out to a creator on Instagram or Twitter and just say hi, mm. I went, uh, I, I felt moved. I, I felt moved to write you a letter. Mm-hmm. So I found uh, the address of uh, Reboot in uh, Boulder, Colorado. And I, and I wrote a letter and I included a little photograph or a postcard of a you did? lake in, in Bavaria, Germany, which... Um, an experience that had preceded me, my reading of your book, because that was when, that was in September. But there's something about you told a story about walking around a lake, and that was my story about walking around a lake. And um, you were very generous uh, um, 
well, I was going to say generous kind of with your attention. That sounds a bit, doesn't sound very human, does it? So let me rephrase it. <laughs> what I loved was that I heard back from you and that kickstarted a, a relationship um, that has endured, I'm pleased to say. And just two months, I think, after that postcard, you happened to be in London. And mm -hmm. uh, we had a lovely evening together uh, where I hosted an evening conversation about uh, talking about Reboot. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, feel free to correct me. That's that's my version of it. Yeah, no, that 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 that's how I recall it. And I was so moved by the handwriting aspect of it, and I was so moved by the story that you told, and you retell it in the introduction of your wonderful book, three hundred and sixty-five ways to have a good day. And you talk about um, making a choice. And I'm really curious that, you know, to hear from you the choice that you made at that lake that day. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, we're faced with choices, aren't we, every day? About how we react to situations and how we react to opportunities. And that particular Tuesday morning in Germany, having just finished giving a presentation at a company away day and feeling, feeling kind of on fire and I've done it and it all went well, I was faced with a choice about how I spent some time. It was just over an hour before my car would come to take me to uh, to Munich to go go mm -hmm. to the airport. And uh, you know, you know, it's like when you travel, you've kind of been neglecting emails for a while because you've been focused on the presentation. I thought I really better crank open the MacBook, see what I miss, see what I'm missing, and see what needs replying to. And then I thought I had known before I was gone to that venue that I knew there was a lake nearby. Now, it was a very misty morning, and we were in the foothills of the Bavarian Alps. It was a lovely, picturesque venue. Um, but I knew there wasn't far away down the hill, there was a lake. Mm. So my choice that morning was um, jump on the Wi-Fi or jump in the lake. And I chose the lake, and uh, it was about a 10-minute walk away, maybe a bit longer. So I had to skip down the hill because I knew I didn't have long... And the hotel receptionist uh, gave me a key to uh, the Baderplatz, which is the bathing <laughs> platform, <laughs> and a little key and a map, because they, they needed to give you a map. I, I nearly got well, In fact, I didn't find the gate at first. So there's a, st there's a metaphor for something. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> find the gate. <laughs> had the key. <laughs> and, then I, and then I found this, uh, found the gate, walked through, and was greeted with this amazing... Uh, it's funny because I can see it over my uh, right ear behind me in the photograph. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can see uh, see this amazing crystal clear lake, <laughs> and I uh, I jumped in it mm -hmm. and had an amazing swim. I was the only only person around for there was no other human beings, and uh, looking at the mountains and uh, it was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I realize that choice comes from a position of privilege, Jerry. We're not all going to have Bavarian lakes to jump into. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess my call to action is, you know, that we have choices. Mm -hmm. And maybe we need to be courageous enough to make the choice that feels like this is the one that we should take. And on that particular morning... I don't know what what about well I do know about it that was so powerful for me, and I tell you I don't know if I told you this bit before but I had my phone with me I took this photograph and how amazing it was mm -hmm. had the swim, 
And I then telephoned Zoe, my wife, also the creative partner in my business, my best friend. And I phoned Zoe and said that I needed to tell her about this. Mm. And I think she was a bit surprised taking my call. What, what, and I was like, this, this is something really special. I want you to remind me that um, mm. when, when, if things get tough in life. And I was in tears, tears of joy. And that was September 2019. And uh, yeah, you know, the world uh, has thrown some things at us since. So feels pretty, um, pretty powerful for me. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that story with, with others. And um, hearing you tell that story takes me back to going into my office and opening this envelope. I think the stationery was kind of like a brown paper kind of thing. That's the image that I'm holding in my mind. And I remember uh, noting that it was handwriting, handwritten. And I'll, I'll confess that I always feel a bit of shame when I see that, when I see handwritten, handwritten things, because as a boy, I, it, I wasn't diagnosed with this until I was an adult. I have a form of uh, dysgraphia, uh, literally where my handwriting doesn't, uh, is unreadable even to me. Uh, which makes my journal entries quite secure. <laughs> um, and uh, I, it was at a time when I was receiving a lot of letters in response to the book, and many of them were handwritten. But this one in particular stuck, uh, uh, struck me because of the story that you told. And um, I remember saying to myself, I want to know this man who would choose to jump in a lake. And um, I am deeply grateful that you reached out because I'm deeply grateful that I got to know you and that I got to um, develop a friendship with you because of that small gesture. Um, and in my mind, I've often come back to the two little acts, writing a letter and um, jumping in the lake as a way of understanding, in some ways, who you are, who my friend Ian is. And I'm curious, we actually haven't talked about um, the book and sort of the impetus behind the book, but I think, if I remember correctly, and I'll connect this back to, to the story of how we met. If I remember some of the conversations that we had following actually meeting, and then, of course, soon after we met, we were all in pandemic Zoom land. Um, this book began as a series of journal entries. Is that right? Tell me more about that. Yes, Jerry. Um, the the book started as a series of journal entries going back fifteen years. I think it was about thirty or so notepads. Um, I'm a great note taker, list maker. Love writing things down in a little uh, notebook. I've got one by my side here, and 
in the spring of 2020, in that first lockdown, um, I lost I lost quite a few projects. Projects were canned, put on the back burner. I remember. I suddenly had time on my hands, and I and uh, not far from where I'm sitting right now, in my workspace here in the attic, I had a box. In fact, it's a red box. I can see it right now. A red box of notepads, and I decided to have a daily practice where one hour every morning I would go through them. It was lovely weather. We had were treated <laughs> with 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 good weather in the UK in that early lockdown, and uh, I'd sit in our little uh, garden house at the bottom of the garden, and I would go through them. And if I found anything that I thought was interesting, well, wow, I never remember writing that. I'd write it, in, uh, write it up into a doc, document. And by the end of the process, I had a 50,000-word Google Doc. Hmm. And I thought, hmm, I think I've got something here. Hmm. And I remember having some conversations during that time period. And I think it's going to be okay for me to note that that was not an easy time for you. Is that right? Hmm. It, it, it was a time of mixed emotions, as I, as I think it's for many people. And on the one hand, I had, I had this, I had this scenario where, you know, a lot of work got canceled. Um, but on the other hand, you know, we were gifted this time I have two teenage sons. They were homes, being homeschooled for months and months, as, as most people were globally. So we had all this time together. Um, and I think I'm someone that, you know, needs to be focused on something and have some creative outputs. And whilst I didn't approach the journal exercise going through the old notepads as, oh, this is going to be a book, you know, I think I think it was a good thing of keeping me it was a good project for me, you know, and I did a number of projects. I did some video conversation projects. You were kind enough to take part in meet the storytellers. I, and, mm. and it didn't come from any great strategy. It came from, I have an opportunity to create some, create a body of work. That's not about revenue. That's just about being Ian. <laughs> so, mm. so those were always good to do. Um, um, so, but, it, but, it, but, but yeah, no, let me be, let me be clear. It, it was, it was an unsettling time to have been building a business and then I had thought a lot of the work initially would be, you know, just go remote as it, as it did for a lot of my network. And the truth is that that didn't happen. And, and the truth is that I had to rebuild a business. And I've done that many times before, I have a 21 year career of being a, a solopreneur. So I'd done that before. And a very good friend of mine, David said that, um, and along with your, you know, uh, helpful advice said, you know, remember what you're good at, Ian, you're good at, you're good at pivoting, you're good at navigating without a, without a fixed plan. And, um, you know, that's what you need to bring to bear. So, you know, I was, I was fortunate. I had a few months which were tricky commercially for sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, if I hadn't had that opportunity, Jerry, I, well, I certainly wouldn't have written the book. And I think it was nice that the starting point, you know, was just, writing up some notes rather than I'm going to write another book. So there's a story I tell myself about how this book came to be, your book came to be. Could be complete projection on my part. And the story I tell myself is that you reached into that red box of old journals 
because you were looking for some answers because of the unsettling time. And the reason I want to bring that to your attention, I don't know if it has any resonance at all, but the reason I want to bring your attention to that is that I think you did something really extraordinary with this book. Yeah, 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 it's a fun book. As I, as I wrote to you once, you know, it's funny and touching and all of those things. But I think you did something really important and something that I always look for in, in artistic expressions was that you wrote something that you needed to read. Does that resonate? Totally. Mm. You know, in that period when, when we spoke, um, you know, I, I, uh, I think I made a, made a self-deprecating remark about, uh, you know, going through these uh, old journals, and also I went through some old photographs. That, you know, at the same time was a was an act of uh, self indulgent. And I always remember what you said to me, and it speaks to your great belief and concepts around radical self inquiry, Jerry. Because, you know, I mean, you know, delving into my to my past and going through some of the unearthing some of the stories of my life um, mm. was incredibly important, and it was about reminding myself about who I am and what makes me tick. Mm -hmm. There's another side to that, which is kind of aligned um, perhaps to what, what you're, what you're asking, which is that, you know, remember in spring 2020, we couldn't travel anywhere. Yeah. In the UK, in the UK lockdown, we could only go out once a day and we abided by that. And, you know, I normally get creatively energized by going on a journey. That is when, you know, I'm on fire. The, Paper, pen and paper's going crazy. And, uh, you know, don't do a lot of transatlantic travel, so normally kind of pan-European travel. And what was lovely about finding all these notepads was that at a time when I couldn't travel and do all the usual things I do for creative inspiration, my younger self had given me a lot of that, because in the pages of these notepads, little scribbles on a flight to Belfast, on a train ride to Paris, on a Eurostar at um, Brussels, to uh, uh, you know, sitting in my favorite, second favorite city of Amsterdam, and so it was wonderful to go through these thoughts and observations and think, shit, that's you know, it was the younger Ian giving the older Ian what he needed, and who mm -hmm. knew. Who knew? Because the only intentionality with these with these books is about mm. doing what I feel moved to do. I'm not thinking, mm. oh, that might come in useful later. Otherwise, I'd have a really smart indexing system. You know, they go in the red <laughs> box. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it was it was as you can note with with uh, my emotion in the in in what I just said. It was kind of something really special there. And um, yeah, I don't I don't hadn't felt that with such emotion as as I did just now. I felt that support for yourself. I felt that, um, you know, there was a aspect in our conversations during that spring 
that I felt a little bit of your, the wandering soul being tethered to a spot. Uh, you know, the guy who coaches people by taking them on a walk, the guy who tells stories by, you know, by walking, who actually was told to sit still. And um, I think that there's something very powerful. There was something very powerful going on at that time. And I'm moved by, by the notion that um, something about reaching into the past, something about bringing forward young Ian to help present Ian, uh, to remind yourself that uh, you, uh, you, you, you have traveled the world. You have uh, agency and mobility in that regard, and that you've learned a thing or two along the way. Um, you know, I often talk uh, with with folks about uh, journaling. People are fascinated by the fact that I have journaled so religiously uh, since I was a child, and and maybe now they'll be even more fascinated by the fact that I can't do what you did which is actually go back in time and reread those entries. So perhaps there's a little envy on my part. Um, but what I'll lift up is people will say, well, what's the point? And for me, the point is oftentimes processing what had happened. And I think that you probably did something similar. But, but, but I think in this book, in this experience, in this collection of things that I have learned, I mean, here's an alternate title, right? Things Ian learned over the course of a few decades or decade and a half, right? And, and to be able to revisit those, uh, I think of, um, I'm, I'm not going to remember fully the quote, but I think of, uh, uh, Samuel Johnson, who wrote, famously wrote Life of Boswell. And there's a, there's a passage in there in which he's quoting Boswell about the power and the benefit of keeping a journal, which is the notion of being able to collect the little bits of wisdom over life and to be able to revisit those. And that's what I think I saw you doing in this book as a gift to others, but really first primarily as a kind of medicine for yourself. I don't know. Does any of that resonate with you? It was definitely medicine for myself. And you're familiar with this process where I had a body of work and then, uh, you know, a lovely publisher gets involved to make it into a, a book they'd like to market. And, you know, I had the raw materials. But, of mm. course, uh, it might be wonderful to me, but no one wants to read a book, uh, what, Ian's, what Ian's learned. So, I, <laughs> so, so, you know, the publisher's uh, premise around 365 ways to have a good day was a, um, a framing of, of the book. Mm. And, and, and thereby I went and uh, knocked on people's doors, including yourself, to ask other people about their mm. advice and thus had a curated sense, set of 365 ideas. 
however, you know, in my initial Google Doc, if I go back to that, I had a working title called um, um, Follow Follow You was the working mm -hmm. title for that body of work. Um, if I go back to that, you know, that what's lovely is, you know, I tend to write short form in these notepads. So these little, mm -hmm. you know, one page in a Moleskin notepad is probably equivalent to um, half a page in the book. And those chapters mm -hmm. that are 150 words, you know, are pretty much, you know, the words that I'd written. And what I found, I, I suppose I don't write a journal in a traditional way, Jerry. The, the notes and lists in there um, perhaps pro provide the similar amount of value. I love that quote you shared with me. And I think I hear that and think, goodness, I'm so fortunate that I wrote these things down and I can revisit them because they've given me a normal, enormous um, strength and wisdom and, and I was going to say power. Yeah, let's say it. They've given mm -hmm. me power. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I'm so glad I, I, so glad I went through them. But there's another thing which is more mm, experiential, mm. which is in those notebooks that I only thought I'd ever look at myself, never share with anyone else or... Would I never thought oh, I'm writing this and in 15 years time, I'm going to get my fifth book, you know, as an output of these, you know, I, I was naked. I was unbridled. I wasn't thinking about, um, I wasn't writing a piece for LinkedIn. <laughs> I was writing a piece just mm -hmm. for me. And there was something about that, which, which I found that when I went back on these notes is I was writing how I felt, mm -hmm. how something made me feel. And that was the bit for me where, where I've put some of those in the book, I don't know if the reader would notice, but for me, I'm painting a picture about something that happened. And because I've written down how I felt at the time, um, I think I tell the story of having, um, uh, uh, having a job offer um, about six years ago to go and kind of go into the world of full employment again and then i had this moment where i'm sitting in a pizza express restaurant um having just delivered a delivered a talk to some uh, some students and having a sense of this is kind of my purpose this is what i'm meant to be doing and because i could go back and find the little note i'd written about it you know i'd written that note in pizza express westfield uh, westfield mall mm. in stratford east london and i could go back and find those notes and i think that kind of when you're capturing an emotion while you're in it and then you can go back and revisit it. It's not just a factual, this is what I did today. I'm sure with your journals, mm. it would be the same. I'm going back and I'm rediscovering, you know, the emotion I felt. That was a third dimension for me, which, um, mm. which sparked something in me. Mm. I just wrote down the phrase guidebook to my own life. Um, and I think that that's part of that journaling experience, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, uh, by, by, to reflect back what you were saying, by focusing on the feeling, we solidify an understanding of who we are and who we might want to be, um, by noting what what makes us sad or what makes us happy, what makes us feel fulfilled or what depletes us. We then, in effect, end up assembling 
perhaps even instructions for, for how to be ourselves. Yeah, I think the act of articulating my kind of philosophy on life, you know, words are powerful, aren't they? Capturing that and going, yeah, you know, this is, this is how I choose to live my life. And putting that down on paper um, is so is 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 so important. And you know, you said earlier, there's a, perhaps a book, you know, a book I wrote, you know, a book I wrote for my for myself. And I think I did in that sense to kind of capture mm. and your words, you know, the, my instructions for life and the user manual. I have two sons. Um, mm. You know, I think I think I, I wrote the words when I was talking about the lake story in the introduction. You know, I I realized something that day in uh, in a lake in Bavaria that you know we can live our life straitjacketed by what we think we should do and be, or we can live a life true to who we really are—a life of uh, authenticity and fulfillment. And that and and that kind of mantra, along with another one I have, it, it's your life, not a business model. Um, is you know at the heart of uh, at the heart of who I am, and you know what's exciting about writing a book, as you know, is that and the book's been out in the UK, you know, a bit longer than the US is is getting these notes and <laughs> I haven't had any handwritten notes yet. Uh, getting these mm. emails and messages from readers from strangers who have mm. like this is me. I needed to hear this, you know, so that's, mm -hmm. so that's always a lovely moment, as you know. So, you know, I, uh, the, the act of putting the, putting my work out there and my, uh, my philosophy mm -hmm. on life, you know, um, uh, to have that hear back from people that they needed to hear this or this resonates with them or, you know, opened their eyes is, um, you know, it's lovely because I mean, at the end of the day, you know, whether I'm, uh, you know, running a workshop for leaders or, writing a book, you know, I mean, I want to, you know, I want to touch people. I want to spark change, you know, so, so, you know, I'm pleased that that has that kind of value. I'm curious, um, pulling all of this together, pulling these notes together, reaching out to additional friends for, for further insights and that sort of thing. How, if in any way, have you changed since when you began assembling all of this and then when you received the hardbound final copy, what's changed for you? It's funny because when you were starting the question, I kind of thought, I don't think there's any change. It's just, it's just an output of who I am. And, uh, but, but, mm -hmm. uh, but by the time you'd come to the end of the question and talked about the hardback book, uh, the words that were coming to me, Jerry, were um, it's set in stone. And I'm not mm. someone that likes rigidity. I'm someone who runs away from, uh, you know, too much rigor and strategy and uh, uh, being shackled, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is why, you know, I, my love of wandering around, and as you reminded me earlier. But I don't mind committing things to set in stone if they're sacred. And if they're like, mm. shit, this is fucking at the heart of who I am. 
Mm. So I hadn't realized until you just asked the question that, um, you know, the, I'm happy for this to be my legacy and set in stone. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm fortunate that a publisher that said, well, oh, yeah, let's publish this. Um, because, you know, if it's, the, if it's that powerful to me, you know, um, I'm not a stonemason, so I can't go and chisel it in a piece of rock. Mm -hmm. But I can have a book out that captures who I am and people that don't know me can read it and get a sense of who I am as a byproduct of that. So it's, mm -hmm. um, so I guess, I, mean, I guess maybe that's not a change. Maybe, I don't know, you tell me, I, I guess that's more like a deepening of something I felt before and a solidification. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had the foundation stones, didn't I? Now I've got the, 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 the rock or whatever it is that it's kind of something there as a, talking about rocks and set in stone i was gonna say touchstone uh, i don't know if all these work mm -hmm. together <laughs> so it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a touch it's a touchstone it's a touchstone yeah and and as with most touchstones there's something sacred about creating the thing that lasts um so perhaps a change transformation for you hasn't been there as much as what i'm hearing is an increasing awareness of there is something that you have set down and um, it, it, it becomes the thing that you leave for others, right? That's that word legacy that you used. Um, yeah. Uh, and I don't mean to suggest that you're done, but, you know, we're about the same age. Um, and, and we both have younger selves that have, and in one way or another communicated with our present self, right? I don't know if this is true for you, but it's certainly true for me. I am acutely aware of future self. I'm acutely aware these days of uh, my impending elderhood, as I lovingly refer to it, um, especially when I look in the mirror and I see the disappearing hair um, it's no longer like, oh, it used to be black. It's like, it used to be there. Um, and, and, and there is something very, very sweet in the process for me of being able to set in stone um, that which I have come to know. Um, you know, I'm working on a new book and it's different for me because this book, the new book, is more around what do I still need to know? What questions am I still working with? What is the process that's underway? But my first book was very much of like in that same spirit of imagining uh, a descendant, if you will, either literally or figuratively, reading this and saying, oh, this is knowledge that actually transcends the moment. This is wisdom. Um, and, and passing it along. And uh, that process feels quite sacred to me. That process feels like something, you know, I had dinner with a dear friend last night I haven't seen in three years, wonder why. And I said, uh, 
that this time period in my life feels very much like fruition um, and less around path, less around um, wondering what will be and, and more around harvesting. Um, I feel like I'm entering the autumn in that way. So again, I don't mean to project that onto you. You're younger than me, but <laughs> I, yeah. I think the gray hair, by the way, it's called distinguished, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, think, tell uh, yourself whatever you want to tell yourself. Yeah, the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm not far behind you. Interesting. I don't don't tend to think about the the elder thing, and uh, but but I think. Um, yeah, I, th I think there's something important about unearthing and shining a light on on the things that you, that one is and one stands for. You know, and I talk in the book mm -hmm. about this concept of zooming in on what really matters, and thus, you know, that is what the book does, and it's powerful in that sense. And I think, you know, all those little things that are me and and it's funny because you know I, I, you you said it you said at the beginning when you when you'd received the handwritten note from me those two things said a lot about me that I'd chosen the lake rather than a, a pile of emails and that I'd written you a handwritten letter, and I smiled when you said that because of course you're right, and if you asked my friends and people that know me well they seem pretty signature in kind of things to do right mm. <laughs> jump in the lake not mm. do the emails and to and to, and to be writing something you know by hand. Um, uh, so I think it's interesting that I think it's interesting when one does those things just kind of naturally, and then but but they become powerful when when they are seen, and when they are seen in the way you you saw them. I mean, I didn't mm. I didn't I didn't write Jerry Colonna a letter because I thought, oh, maybe he's coming to London. I can host an event with him. I wrote mm -hmm. you a letter because I felt I needed to reach out to you. And mm. it was wonderful, of course, that, you know, it had a happy ending, you wrote back and uh, we have this relationship and I'm here. That's the reason I'm here now. However, if you hadn't, because you're a busy guy and you get a lot of letters from different people and emails and you hadn't had time, you know, I wouldn't have felt sore like, oh, I never heard back from Jerry. I think the act of writing and reaching out to you was something that I needed to do. And mm. um, um I don't know if you remember, but I, but I do. When we spoke in the, one of the lockdowns of 2020 and I told you about my pile of notepads and my desire to write mm -hmm. a book, and that was before I had publisher interest, you said to me, because this is my fifth book, you said to me, this time, Ian, I think you might want to write the book you know, for you that you feel you need to write, mm -hmm. not a book that a publisher is telling you to write. And mm -hmm. that, would, in a way, well, that came true because you know when i when i had the contract from the publisher i wasn't starting from scratch okay there was a reframing that meant i had to do more work but i started mm. with a body of work that was authentic mm. which had come out of 15 years of scribbling things down mm. Mm. yeah i'm i'm glad to see that my advice is consistent um, i hadn't remembered that i had told you that yeah cuz <laughs> i wrote it you down know, <laughs> but I, but I, I, I think that that because the, the consistency of saying that reveals a belief system I have, which is that um, the things that matter 
uh, matter on a personal basis. And, uh, you know, so often I feel like we run up against a, a little voice in our head that says, well, if I were to write a book that seeks to answer questions that I'm holding, somehow it's self-indulgent. Or if I was to write a book that was solace for me in a time of lockdown, but somehow that that's self-indulgent. And I think what, what gets lost is the realization that we are all interdependent. We are all interconnected. I mean, I, I, I see this most acutely when I do a public talk, either on Zoom or something. And uh, I almost always have a Q&A section. And I almost always hang out a little bit longer than most people are used to with some questioner. Right? They'll ask a question, and I might ask them a question about why they're asking that question. Right? And you can see them shift uncomfortably in that. And then at some point, what usually occurs is they say, well, I feel like I'm taking up too much time. And then I have them look around the room and I say, look at the faces. Look at how drawn in they are. Are you actually taking up too much time? Or are you saying things and feeling things and asking questions that others in the room have? And so... When I think that when we, when we endeavor to create a piece of lasting art, um, the best art does that exact same thing. It's, it, 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 it bridges um, time and space and distance and experience. You know, one of the experiences I've had uh, that is continues to surprise me is I wrote something that is deeply personal and has a memoir-like aspect to it. And the number of people who in writing to me say things, say variations on the theme, your story is my story. Now, when you look at the outer appearance of people, how could that be? How could your story be so different? You and I grew up in such different circumstances, and yet we didn't, right? And in a similar fashion, I think that I'm not surprised that people are reacting to your book and saying, that's exactly what I needed. To belabor the point, because you wrote something that you needed to read, you ended up writing something that others needed to read. Hmm. There's a beauty in that, isn't there? Um, and there is something interesting, human. I, f I forget the phrase. I forget the saying. Is it in the in the particular lies the universe? Or you know, there's something in your story. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm -hmm. you know, I obviously latched hold of something, something, something in that. And there were a couple of lines that hit me about uh, about your childhood. Even though you know, I grew up in a very different situation and with not the same level of challenges that you described at all. However, you know, I, I, I felt that. And um, I suppose that's the wonderful thing about human stories. And they, 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 they affect how we feel. And thus, we have an emotional engagement. I don't have an emotional reaction to every book I read. I had an emotional reaction to Jerry's book. 
Mm. Let's have, you know, hundreds and thousands of others. And I guess you're echoing um, perhaps what what I feel, which is that, you know, the lovely thing is we haven't set out, I didn't sit down my publisher and say, what's the strategy to, prov- to uh, create a book that uh, the market's going to love? Fuck mm-hmm. that. Uh, I wrote a book that I wanted to write. And yes, it was reframed around this 365 Ways, which is a new series my publisher wanted to launch, and they wanted me to be the debut for that. Um, and, I, and I do think when we do things and we put things out there because we want to do them, we mm. we um, they they strike home more. You know, my wonderful uh, wife and creative partner Zoe uh, is a great sounding board for uh, for posts I might want to put out, or a LinkedIn, or a Medium mm. post over the years, and uh, she won't mind me saying that. She brings a good rigor and strategy to things, and sometimes I um, challenge her and say, "Look, I'm I know what you're saying, and you're probably right, but on, on this one, I'm just going to go out and tell the story I want to tell." And she might caution me and go, ah, "It's a bit, it's a bit you, 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 Ian." You know, it's like, "Where's the, mm. where's the?" She said, "Where's the value for the reader?" And I'm like, "Yeah, value for the reader. Mm. I just want to. I'm excited about telling this story. And I'm just going to hit publish." And when I do those, you know, those things where it hasn't been uh, across Zoe's desk and it might feel to me always a bit self-indulgent, it's often those pieces that tend to resonate because there's something in them which is not too considered, not too structured. It's a brain dump of how I'm feeling and there's something about being unfiltered which... um, uh, which 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 resonates, and obviously, you know, Zoe's right for the for work when we're working with clients on storytelling projects. It needs all that rigor and who's the target audience and blah 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 and all this. But you know, when it's just there's something something um, uh, you know, a bit my the the do lecture that I delivered, and uh, so wonderful that you're uh, the do lectures this year. Um, mm. You know, the do lecture I delivered. Did I did I give it a lot of thought? Yes, I gave it a lot of thought, but it didn't come with an edited. Here's the script. It was it was what I was feeling and what I wanted to say, and there was a there was a, um, a nakedness to that, and perhaps um, in the communication, uh, um, it, it was quite a crude. It was quite crude. It wasn't polished, and I often think those things are the things that um, are the things that do resonate with others, and um, I, I'm pleased they do. I I think that's 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 correct. And I, I think what Zoe, in your instance, and perhaps your editor publisher and my editor publisher, the the wisdom that they're sharing is in those instances is to remind us that there needs to be a lesson that gets extracted out of that story. There's a parable that um, is powerful. And, um, uh, and and I think one of the things I enjoy about um, your book is uh, you could argue it's 365 parables. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and each is, is, is uh, moving in a particular way. And given what we were saying before about the legacy. I'm. I'm actually going to bring us to actually the 365th parable, and I'm going to read to you because you've read to me from my own work. So I'm going to read to you from your work. 365. Chisel 
your manifesto in stone. It was a Monday morning in October 2012. Walking down Barcelona's, you're going to have to pronounce this, I stumbled across Cafe Cosmo. It was busy and buzzy. I instantly felt at home there. As I sat with my espresso, I got out my notepad and without thinking started a list. I headed it, my charter, and there and then quickly cranked out a list of 20 do's and don'ts. I will play where I play best. I will stay authentic to me and will not compromise. I will continue to be driven by curiosity and will go out of my comfort zone to learn and develop, etc. I hadn't planned to write it, but I suddenly got the focus and clarity to, to articulate what mattered most in my working life. I had accidentally created a manifesto. I think of a manifesto as a compass. It captures what you stand for, what makes you tick, what you will and won't do. It's like chiseling into stone your beliefs and your values. It stands there strong and immutable, a guide to remind you who you are and which will help you navigate your paths and choices in life. Write yours. Take half an hour in your favorite armchair or coffee shop to write down your beliefs and values, your do's and your don'ts. Stick your manifesto up the, on the wall and live by it. My friend, I think you wrote a manifesto. <laughs> it's called 365 Ways to Have a Good Day. Because I think it came from your heart. And it's far more than a list of 20 do's and don'ts. Mm. It's, it's, it's legacy advice for someone else, for a descendant perhaps, or for the next fellow to come along and decide that maybe I will jump in the lake today. Thank you, Jerry. It's lovely to hear you read out the chapter that's, you know, so important and kind of at the heart of the book. And I know it's crazy because I wrote it, but I'd forgotten my use of chisel in stone. And we talked about chiseling in stone. Over the last <laughs> I had minutes. a feeling you'd forgotten that. <laughs> I'd so forgotten it. It's crazy, isn't it? I'd actually forgotten yeah. that uh, choice of words. I'd forgotten. Um, I'd written it down here. I'd forgotten that it, I, I didn't. You asked me earlier about harvesting this concept as you were heading towards thinking about mm. your elder self harvesting. And, I, and I'd, I'd written it down here and I'd forgotten to, to respond on that. And Yes, I love that word. It's not a word that I use, but it will be now. Mm. I love that sense of harvesting. Isn't that a wonderful thought mm. that I can sit back, being mm -hmm. through all these experiences and through notepads and through the process of reflection, can harvest, mm. and be a harvester. So thank you, for, thank you for shining a light on that word. It's very much, it very much resonates. Well, I think it's, it's our work to do is we harvest um, and maybe can the fruit for winter, mm -hmm. um, and we pass it along, uh, chiseled stone and legacy and books and, 
here is what I have learned from a life lived. Um, mm -hmm. I think of, of uh, those that I had have come before me, ancestors, that I wish that they had done that for me. Um, you know, in some ways they have in the belief systems that I have, that have defined my life. But I, but I do wish that I had paid attention or had asked questions or prompted the discussions. And so, um, you know, the, the wisdom implicit in your 365th entry, I think, um, is really quite powerful. And it's something that, um, it's the way the oral tradition allows us to pass along knowledge and wisdom. Hmm. So I, I want to close by thanking you. I want to thank you for jumping in the lake. I want to thank you for <laughs> writing me a letter. I, I want to thank you for reaching out. I want to thank you for revealing yourself. Um, and I want to thank you for, for chiseling all of this in stone. Well, thanks, Jerry. That, uh, that means a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Reboot, we believe radical self-inquiry is an integral part of our continual practice of growth and self-actualization. Creating a practice of radical self-inquiry allows you to notice what happens in your experience from a different vantage point, one of curiosity. It is through radical self-inquiry that we learn to become more of ourselves, more like ourselves, more authentic, more human. We've developed an assortment of free self-guided email courses to support you in taking a deeper dive into radical self-inquiry. Whether you're looking to revamp your relationship to work, better understand your anxiety, explore your shadow side, reevaluate your co-founder relationship, or become a better listener, we've got you covered. All of our courses offer valuable content and prompts for reflection and journaling on a personal, professional, and practical level. Valuable for any leader at any stage. Explore our full suite of free course offerings at reboot.io slash resources.